Manna or Meatloaf, Episode 66, Nature the Teacher. Hello, hello. So we had the wonderful opportunity of visiting with my little sister, Julie, and her family who live in Alaska over the past week and a half. And it reminded me just how much I miss them. The weather was terrific in the high 70s. And it was, as some of you know, breathtakingly beautiful. So one early morning following our recovery from an all-night fishing adventure, I decided to take a little walk around their block so that I didn't wake anyone else still sleeping in the house. And I had my first bear encounter on that walk. Honestly and truly right there behind their house. It was just meandering across the neighbor's front porch. It was a real life brown bear. You guys, it made me so scared. He stopped and looked right at me like, hey, it's a beautiful morning for a stroll, isn't it? (laughs) I even got pictures just to prove it for people who wouldn't believe me. And I was totally feeling like the winner of the wild animal encounter during our vacation until my dad was jumped over by a cow moose. True story. We were standing in the Kenai River fishing, and we were fishing up against this bank, and he felt a puff of hot air on his neck. It startled him so much that he lost his footing and fell down into the water, and so she conveniently just jumped right over him and proceeded to swim down the river, just literally feet from us. Alaska is crazy! (laughs) Crazy amazing It was awesome. But I digress. So let's go back to my early morning neighborhood walk, pre-bear encounter. At the end of their road, right at the corner, there's a brick retaining wall. And right smack dab in the middle of this brick wall was a beautiful, bright green baby pine tree growing through what appeared to be solid gray brick. Now, a lot of us have seen plants, weeds, or even flowers grow in strange places that wouldn't appear to sustain life, but this one seemed unique to me. This little pine tree grew out at a 90-degree angle, and then it turned up like it was trying to correct itself and grow like a normal straight tree. At some point, that little seed either had to wither and die because of the lack of soil and the difficulty of pushing through the brick to get to the desperately needed light, or dig in as deep as it could and grow and grow it did. It was beautiful and inspiring. That little tree reminded me that nature has such a wonderful way of teaching us life lessons if we just pay attention and follow her lead. So lesson number one from this darling little tree in Alaska was we are capable of adapting. No matter the difficulty or the seemingly impossible, we too can dig a little deeper until we find solid ground and grow toward the light if we're determined enough to do so. Lesson number two was straight from the rivers. The sockeye salmon, or reds as the natives call them, were running a little bit late this year, and so we had the great privilege of partaking in their bounty during our stay. During the same trip that my dad was nuzzled by a moose, I stood in the great Kenai River in my waders and my boots and fly pole, and I just marveled at the mysteries of nature. Through my polarized glasses, I could see hundreds, maybe even thousands of salmon literally swimming upstream right at the edge of my boots. It was like a river of fish going in the opposite direction of the current, and it was so awesome. So why do salmon swim upstream, you might ask? Because the waters upstream are normally calmer than the ocean and safer for the embryos that they are sacrificing their lives to reproduce. 
Scientists believe that salmon and other types of fish have a kind of honing device that literally drives them to swim upstream. According to an article in USA Today, scientists state that home odors are embedded in the brains of salmon. Those odors of their home are basically the smells inherent in each different body of water. When the fish are old enough to reproduce, they're instinctively drawn back to the place of their own birth by those smells, and then during the trip, their bodies are naturally prepared to propagate. Most of these fish stop eating when they return to fresh water, and so they have no energy left for a return trip to the ocean after spawning. So after this difficult journey upstream, making it through the maze of eager fishermen and hungry bears, the salmon that spawn will die afterward never seeing the ocean again. I learned several powerful lessons from the fish we were trying to desperately catch and bring home to fill our freezers. Swimming upstream is part of the journey. Remember 2 Nephi 2.11? For it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. This opposition is not easy. Some of these beautiful fish had huge gashes from propellers, others from near-death bear encounters like mine, (laughs) and others from the challenging environment around them. Their wounds are not unlike those hypothetical wounds we find inflicted upon us during difficult runs. Like the salmon, there are many, many things that are trying to stop our progress or take us out of the game altogether, right? But if we continue to heed Dory's counsel from the Disney Pixar film Finding Nemo and just keep swimming, it will be possible for us to follow our divine instincts and find our way back to our eternal home, and that is worth every sacrifice. So too is the model the salmon follow in sacrificing all for their future generations, for their little fishy families. (laughs) Is there a parent out there that wouldn't give anything to provide a way for their children to live and progress? And do we recognize that our Father in Heaven did just that? That He sacrificed everything, His only begotten Son, to provide a way for His earthly children to live after death and progress? That's a lesson I hope I never forget. One last lesson from Alaska was found clustered along the highways that we drove from between one river to the next. So have you ever seen fireweed by chance? It's absolutely gorgeous. It's a tall flower that can grow up to eight feet tall, and the color is between a really vibrant red and bright purple. They have a main stalk, which all the blooms grow from in little bundles, and they bloom from the bottom up. So as the summer progresses, it leaves unbloomed buds on the very top to blossom through the end of the summer and into the fall. Now, this is what I love about this gorgeous flower. Wikipedia said it best, quote, It earned its name because this plant is the first colonizer in the soil after forest fires. And in Great Britain, it also earned the name bombweed due to the rapid colonization of land that was bombed during World War II, end quote. Fireweed growing first on blackened, burned land and after the destruction of bombs is the perfect illustration of the promise after the storm, or the beauty from the ashes, so to speak. Although it can be grown in most soil, fireweed prefers rocky areas, so along highways and railroads and other disturbed areas. I'm sure you can already hear the message, can't you? Sometimes our hardest times, our wars and rocky roads, bring forth a beauty that can only bloom from the growth of being there. Ooh, I love that. Oh, I love that. That reminds me a lot of the symbolism of the lotus flower. 
These beautiful blooms are aquatic plants that are considered sacred in a lot of Eastern cultures. Fossil records even suggest that lotus flowers may have been around for millions of years, and many scientists believe that they even survived the Ice Age. Holy cow. The reason Buddhists regard this beautiful plant as sacred is that they grow out of muddy waters and follow the movement of the sun, symbolizing rising above challenges and moving toward light and wisdom. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, I love that. It's incredible. I want a lotus plant in my pond. There's a lot of mud in there. I wonder if that would grow. (laughs) All right. Lesson number four is the story of the current bush. You'll remember it. It was told by Elder Hubie Brown in 1973. And he taught us that the Lord knows exactly how to help us grow by sharing the following story. So he was living on a farm that he'd purchased in Canada that needed a lot of fixing up. He shares, quote, I went out one morning and saw a currant bush. It had grown up over six feet high. It was going all to wood. There were no blossoms and no currants. I was raised on a fruit farm in Salt Lake before we went to Canada, and I knew what ought to happen to that currant bush. So I got some pruning shears and went after it, and I cut it down and pruned it and clipped it back until there was nothing left but a little clump of stumps. It was just coming daylight, and I thought I saw on top of each of these little stumps what appeared to be a tear. And I thought the current bush was crying. I was kind of simple-minded, and I haven't entirely gotten over it. And I looked at it and smiled and said, What are you crying about? You know, I thought I heard that current bush talk. And I thought I heard it say this. How could you do this to me? I was making such wonderful growth. I was almost as big as the shade tree and the fruit tree that are inside the fence. And now you have cut me down. Every plant in the garden will look down on me because I didn't make what I should have made. How could you do this to me? I thought you were the gardener here. That's what I thought I heard the currant bush say. And I thought it so much that I answered. I said, look, little currant bush, I am the gardener here. And I know what I want you to be. I did not intend you to be a fruit tree or a shade tree. I want you to be a currant bush. And someday, little currant bush, when you are laden with fruit, you are going to say, thank you, Mr. Gardener, for loving me enough to cut me down, for caring enough about me to hurt me. Thank you, Mr. Gardener. End quote. I love that story. I remember it from years ago. We've all experienced heartbreak and disappointment, haven't we? We all get hurt. And sometimes those hurts hurt so bad we don't know how to move forward. Sometimes our growth feels stunted. But lesson number four sounds like trust God, our eternal gardener, to me. He's the only one who can see the beginning from the end and the only one who knows exactly what we need and when we need it to fulfill our personal and eternal destinies. The butterfly is going to teach us lesson number five. I remember in Mr. Lord's fifth grade class at Yukon Elementary in Idaho, where I grew up, we had an entire aquarium full of milkweed just so that we could watch and learn about monarch butterflies. He challenged each of us to find a caterpillar, mostly found on milkweed pods along the ditch banks, and put one with plenty of leaves in a quart jar with a few holes on the lid so that we wouldn't miss the magic if the metamorphosis took place outside of the class. Classroom. And I did just that and watched several of those little black and yellow creatures for weeks. I still remember being filled with awe at the change. How could that brilliant winged creature be the same worm that went into its little green chrysalis just 10 days earlier? 
this metamorphosis from the common caterpillar to the exquisite delicate butterfly is the perfect example of transformation and hope for triumph over our physical prisons. I'd like to do that experiment again, and I think I'm going to do it this time with my grandchildren. Mindfuel Daily, which is a blog about inspiring the mind and feeding the spirit, points out several life lessons taught by the butterfly better than I ever could, so I wanted to share them with you. Quote, Be patient. All good things come with time. We are growing, even if we cannot feel it. With great patience come great rewards. Be open to change. Be willing to be transformed. Without change, nothing beautiful would happen. You have to give up who you are to become who you might be, end quote. A favorite thought that hangs on my pantry door says a very similar thing. The price of your new life is your old one. That is so powerful. Let me say that one more time. The price of your new life is your old one. So lesson number five, be like a butterfly, transform and fly. I'll wrap up this week with lesson number six from my own front yard. Part of the property we bought and built our home on was the one-time homestead of one of the original settlers of our small town in northern Utah. The most eastern part of our property has a beautiful grove of huge trees. The biggest tree, which I'm guessing has to be at least 150 years old based on just the width of the trunk alone, appears to feed all the other trees surrounding it. But interestingly enough, lodged at the base in the trunk of that huge tree is an old plow blade. The wooden handles, of course, have long since disintegrated, but interestingly enough, you can see one single plow blade and the long metal rod that hooked into the harness of horses wound into the trunk of that tree. We had the sweetest neighbor lady, Emma, who passed from old age at almost 100. She passed a few years ago, but she told me stories of the people who lived here and the way that they farmed. She told me that horse-drawn, single-blade plows were the very pioneers of agriculture used to till the earth and plant the crops. I can only imagine that as a very young sapling tree, that tree must have been thinking, oh, I'm off to such a great start here. Look at me. My roots are nice and deep and I'm growing and feeling so tall. Then one day, the tired farmer, perhaps after a day of work with that very plow, set it there next to that young tree. Who knows, maybe it was abandoned with the progression of more modern plows, or maybe it was broken and forgotten. But suddenly this tree had what we would call a thorn or a blade in its side. Now, hundreds of years later, it's obvious that the old plow didn't kill the tree or even stunt its growth for that matter. In fact, the tree embraced the awkward metal and grew around it and used it to strengthen its base. The tree is old and strong and has given life to all the now equally large trees in the grove. If this pillar of strength could tell a story through the ages, I believe it might be that every difficult, unexpected, or unwanted thing can strengthen us, just like the hard metal plow blade if we let it. We just have to choose to grow around and through those hard things. So this week, I challenge you to remember the lessons we can learn from nature, the beautiful teacher she is, and find your own lessons in the beauty that surrounds you. We are capable of adapting. Swimming upstream is part of the journey. Sometimes our hardest times bring forth a beauty that can only bloom from the growth of being there. Trust the gardener. Be like a butterfly, transform and fly.
and grow around and through the hard things. Quote, no matter our circumstances, no matter our challenges or trials, there is something in each day to embrace and cherish. There is something in each day that can bring gratitude and joy, if only we will see and appreciate it. End quote. Dieter F. Uchtdorf. And one more of my favorites from President Thomas S. Monson. Quote, Good timber does not come with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. End quote. Let's get out there in nature this week and take a peek at what she might teach us 